Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Today, we are actually going to talk about something that's really stirring up a lot of controversy within the faith. Unfortunately, uh, it appears to be something, you know, years ago, I knew this was happening. I didn't give it much credence, but it's starting to catch on now. It's starting to spread like wildfire. And that is what I'm calling the Star of David controversy. And for those of you who are fortunate enough to have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, <laughs> let me briefly share with you, I'm going to highlight the issue for you so that you know what we're embarking on right now. There are some who believe out there, and they're actually teaching right now that the flag of Israel is satanic. It's completely a demonic flag. And the reason they believe this is because the flag features this star. What we call the star of David, what the Jews call the Magan David, meaning the shield of David, what the Muslims call the seal of Solomon, what black magic has called the seal of Solomon, what historians call the hexagram. But what these accusers who are saying this flag is satanic, they are calling it the star of Remphan or the star of Saturn. All right. So in light of this, uh, we're going to take an official position on this issue, and I'm going to res- respond to the charge of this, you know, coming against the flag itself. Uh, I-, I can tell you, uh, we're really starting to get contacted on this issue. I've had people call me, I've had people come up to me, and we got people sending emails. They're very concerned that they have seen this flag in this sanctuary. And now, uh, in their defense, the heart, I love the heart of these people, of knowing that we're not supposed to mix the holy with the profane. I can get behind that, amen? We are not to bring the things that are defiled of this world into the sanctuary of the Lord. This is a holy place. And so there's a component of me that is appreciative of of the heart in and of itself. Uh, The problem is, is these same people are getting sucked into a deception. And by the end of the day, you will know just how powerful and how demonic that deception is. There's something going on with this particular teaching, and uh, you will understand that as we get in it. With that said, I want to open up today with a proverb. It's a proverb I love. I, I quote it often, but it is quite appropriate to begin this particular teaching, and that is Proverbs 18:17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. How true that is. How true that is. Let me paint you a picture. There you are, scrolling around on the internet, looking for words of encouragement, maybe even words of admonishment on how to live a more holy life. You're seeking, and you stumble across an article, a blog, a video. And within that video, this individual starts to present some information that you never heard before. It's new to your ears. And he starts presenting thing after thing. And he's telling you the star of David is really the star of Remphan. And he shows you why this is. And he takes you through history. And he brings some quotes out from biblical scholars and uh, from pagans and all of these things. And by the time you're done, you're looking at this and you're saying, this sounds right. I mean, he, he kind of connected all the dots here. This is plausible. Maybe. Maybe this is true. And it's very, very convincing. 
That is until Proverbs 18 happens. That is until another person comes and tests it and examines it. Now, fortunately, uh, today that person gets to be me. And so with that said, I want to bring you, uh, I want to, I'm going to bring you back into history a little bit. We're going to start off gently here. And I want to show you some history behind the star of David. And as we peer back into history, we're going to discover that the six-pointed star, the hexagon, this is something that was a common symbol used throughout the ancient world. But here's the thing, and listen to me very carefully because this is very important to this teaching. It wasn't just used in one particular context. It was used, yes, in a religious context, in a pagan religious context. It was used in a political context. And it was also used in a decorative context. Think about that. All these different arenas, if you will, it being used. Now, I want to open up today by just taking it into history and showing you the context that is ornamental. That where it was just used as decor. And I want to take you back to the first century, to the time of Yeshua, to the time of the apostles. And let's go to Pompeii. And here's the first picture. Here you have the Magan David. You have the Star of David. And notice in these beautiful mosaic floors that, you know, the Romans really built amazing things. But what you will realize as you study archaeology, as you go through and the floors in this time period, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, uh, and even today, they put a lot of emphasis in beauty. And one of the things that they took pride in, it was real art, is using different geometrical shapes of, and you can see, okay, so here you have the Magan David, but if you look at this closely, you've got pyramids, Right? You got hexagons, you have, um, you have literally circles, you can see the circles, and then it's surrounded by a square. You have all these various geometrical shapes. This was common, this was the way you would do decor, this was an ornamental function back in the time. Let me show you another one, this, was, this is in Lod, Israel, it's a Romans, this is from the 3rd to 4th century, and again you see... You see the content. Now, this one's got a particular bird in the center of it, but here you have the six-pointed star. Let me show you another one. This is a Roman fresco from Aniel in Israel. It's right there with Jerusalem. And here you can see at the bottom, there's a, it's, a, it's a Magan David, and then it's got circles around it. I have one more I want to show you, but before I put it up here, I kind of want to set the stage because this one's pretty special. The next one I'm going to show you hails from Cyprus, specifically Paphos. Now, we've typically heard of Paphos because that's where Paul went to. He spread the gospel there. Paul and his party were in Paphos. You can read Acts 13. And what's interesting is that they were there in the first century. What I'm about to show you was there. When Paul was in Paphos, this very floor was there. This, it comes back from the first century. Look at this floor. Notice... Anything interesting? You have a swastika next to a star of David, next to a cross. But here's the thing. All of them used 100% in an ornamental context. You know, people go there today, they do vacations, and they, they gasp because they're looking at a swastika sitting next to a hexagon or what we call the, the Magan David. But understand something. 
Geometrical shapes were the thing. This was artwork to them. Uh, It carries very different meaning to us today. But back then, they didn't even blink an eye. And it's interesting, you know, with the swastika, and this plays into what we're dealing with today. Prior to Hitler, that was a beloved symbol. It actually meant well-being. In fact, I remember reading an article, and, and you know, I'm quoting from memory here, so not verbatim. But the BBC came out with an article, and it said, the world loved the swastika. I can remember when I read it, because it grabbed my attention. I was like, what are they talking about? Is everyone anti-Semitic now? And so it said, the world loved the swastika until Hitler. And so the article talked about what Hitler had done. He had corrupted, he had damaged this beloved symbol that throughout the centuries was considered, if we had to, if we had to pick a symbol today that we recognize, it'd be like the peace symbol. You know, when you see a peace symbol on a bumper sticker of the car, I'm not typically worried about that person getting out and shooting me, right? I mean, has, you know, that's kind of how it was with the swastika. It doesn't mean that anymore. It's turned into the symbol of hatred and death. But I show you this, I take you back here so that you can see. You've got the Star of David. It's being used in specifically in ornamental Context. Now, let me build upon this. I'm going to take you to the Jewish virtual library commentary on the Magen David. And this is what it said. The ornamental use of the hexagram continued in the Middle Ages, especially in Muslim and Christian countries. So all realms were utilizing this as decor. The kings of Navarre used it on their seals in the 10th and 11th centuries. And like the pentagram, which is the five-pointed star, which today is most of you Affiliate that with explicitly magic, right? Satanism. It was frequently employed on notarial signs in Spain, France, Denmark, and Germany by Christian and Jewish notaries alike. In fact, let me give you an example of a Christian notary. Here you have a star of David on a seal from 1340. Ironic. You wouldn't think of tying the star of David with the Christian, especially back in that time. But here it is. It's used in this context. Let me show you a political context. We're getting into history. 13, 1300, or the 13th century. Here, notice at the flag, that, that's a Magan David. Okay, the king of Portugal. Here you have the king of, or the king of Castile. So this is in a, in a political context. And I could take it a step further because you will look through history. You'll find the Magan David, you find the six-pointed star on all various sorts of coinage. From various cultures. And not just that, but you will also find it in a religious context. And I mean in a pagan religious context. You will find examples of pictures of Astarte standing there, the, the, the demonic god, if you will. And on her left is, uh, she has a five-pointed star. And on her right, she has a hexagram. And so there's all these different contexts by which we see stars. But not just a six-pointed star, there were four, five-pointed stars all throughout the history. You got four-pointed stars. It was actually, on that picture, there was four-pointed stars. There were eight-pointed stars on that picture with the swastika and the Magen David. There's all sorts of this. So, just so you know that, that this, is, this is just, this is known throughout history, these, these symbols. However, they're not always looked in the political. They're not always identified in the religious. Sometimes it was just ornamental. With that said, 
I want to get into the reality of the historical evidence where the star of David, the hexagram, is explicitly being used in a Jewish context. Okay? Jewish context. The oldest undisputed example of a Magen David is on a seal from the 7th century BC. This is not AD. This is going back to the first temple period. Found inside on and belonging to one Yehoshua uh, ben Esayahu. Okay, and actually uh, recently uh, Rabbi uh, Pinchas Taylor He was commenting on an archaeological find in northern Israel where they dug up a synagogue and they found a carving in that synagogue. And the carving was, and this is, they're dating this back to the 6th century BC. The carving was a victorious Babylonian king over a defeated king of Judah. But what's interesting, over the king of Judah's head was a Magan David. That's what was over his head. We could take this a step further. Okay, tombstones all throughout history, scattered throughout the world, different countries, different centuries, you will find tombstones with the Magan David. All right. I mean, this is pretty powerful, explicitly telling you this is a Jewish person. There's no confusion here. In fact, the oldest one that they found was from the third century. I mean, think about how much time has elapsed here. Going back to the third century, they found the Magan David on tombstone. But it's a symbol. The person there buried, he is Jewish. All right? In fact, one of my favorite examples of really looking at the fact that the Magan David is explicit, being used in a context explicitly to Jewish people, it comes to us from the 11th century. It's about 1080. 7, 1007, 1008 AD. And it's on something known as the Leningrad Codex. Now, if you're not familiar with it, that is the oldest surviving complete Hebrew Bible in the world. Very, I mean, you want to talk about beautiful history. You want to talk about value. Uh, it's one of the most, you know, considered one of the most valuable things on planet Earth right now. Uh, as, well, at least in our arena. On the cover page... On the cover page, you want, to get a, you want to get a feeling for what this symbol meant to the Jewish people. On the cover page of that was this. The Magen David, this is known as the carp page. And I want you to really think about the rabbis, how much they revered the holy word of God. What the Tanakh meant to them. See, you know, Gentiles sometimes, they, they just don't get a grasp of what holiness is. But the Jewish people, on many levels, especially, you know, specifically in the Orthodox, man, have they got a grip on what holiness is and the reverence, a true reverence. And yes, sometimes it's in ignorance, not acknowledging Yeshua, but their hearts are knowing reverence. And what my point is, is that, make no mistake, when you see a Magen David on the Tanakh, On the Bible, that is telling you something monumental. It is a symbol saying, we are the people of this book. It's a Jewish symbol, explicitly used in the context of a Jew. They are the people of the book, and they would be right. You know, in proof of this, you just think of today. Just think of symbolisms today. 
We can go through history. I can show you tombstones. I can show you, uh, I can show you other things. I mean, I'm being very specific here, just kind of the, the, the things that in, were really enlightening to me. Uh, but there's many other things I could go to. Jews' history is filled with the Magan David. And what kind of makes my eye twitch is when people say, and you'll find this, and this is part of the rhetoric that is being spewed, that the Star of David, this is not a Jewish symbol. It's not a Jewish symbol. This is what they're saying. It's not a Jewish symbol. History tells me different. And not just that, go carry this flag virtually anywhere in the world, and no one will be confused about what that is. You'll notice they're like, oh, you, oh so you're the people of Ramphan. Nobody's going to say that. What they will know is that you're rep- you must be Israeli or you're pro-Israel. You know, I, I challenge you to go take this flag in, in a Palestinian march and see if they say, oh, so you follow Remphan. You follow the star of Saturn. That's not what they'll say. This flag is either loved or it is hated. See, because when you see that symbol, it stirs in your heart. A heart for love for Israel, a heart for a love for the Jewish people. But if you're on the other side, it's offensive. Very offensive. There's no middle ground here on this symbol. And everyone in the world knows what it is. So when people say that it's not a Jewish symbol, with all due respect, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It makes no sense at all. Because reality tells me different. History tells me different. So with that said... Well, and actually, let me share this with you before we continue. Just to prove, further proof this point, I was reading an article, and it actually happened this year, okay? So this German team, and it actually happened right before Passover, funny enough. This German team of archaeologists, they go over into Egypt, and they're doing a dig, and they actually come across uh, uh, some, some the ancient ruins of a Roman temple dating all the way back to the 3rd century. But... What they found caused an uproar with, with the uh, Egyptian antiquities minister who was there, who was in charge of it. He's the director. He was livid because what they found were two Magan Davids. This is the German archaeologist team. They, they uncovered this, and they did it. And the Egyptian, the director of, of the antiquities, he was so offended. But what they did, he actually accused them of defacing the property, of vandalizing it. My point is, is this, the symbol, this symbol is so recognized that even when it's digging up, being dug up in Egypt today, the Egyptians are being totally offended, totally offended by that. That's why it's complete nonsense to not say it's not a Jewish symbol because it's the most predominant known, well-known Jewish symbol in the world. I mean, that's a fact. And yes, we could say the menorah is a Jewish symbol. Yes, the shofar, it is a Jewish symbol. But so is this. There's no question about it. Everyone knows this. You could walk around with a menorah. Most of the world would not recognize that. But they recognize this symbol. One more bit of history, and and then we're going to get into the heart. I want to show you what led to Israel adopting the Star of David as a national symbol. And I want to take you back to 1897. And this is the the first Zionist Congress. This is when they met. And the founder of the movement was Theodore Herzl. And Theodore Herzl, he, he had this desperation for a flag, along with his friend David Wolfsong. 
And Theodore Herzl, he had this vision of a flag. He wanted a white flag with seven golden stars. That's what he wanted. David Wolfsong had a little different idea. And what you're going to see, and I'm going to show you actually David's own words on this issue. And I'm going to show you how these two men really, what they thought in their heart, what they wanted, really came together and it formed the first Zionist flag. But this is what Wolfsong's uh, accredited to saying. At the behest of our leader, Herzl, I came to Basel to make preparations for the Zionist Congress. Among many other problems that occupied me then was what flag would we hang in the Congress Hall? Then an idea struck me. We have a flag, and it is blue and white. The tallit with which we wrap ourselves when we pray, that is our symbol. Let us take the tallit from its bag and unroll it before the eyes of Israel and the eyes of all nations. So I ordered a blue and white flag with the shield of David painted upon it. That is how the national flag that flew over Congress Hall came into being. And actually, as you know, here we are, 1897, as 1933 around, uh, they actually adopted officially that first Zionist flag, which looks like this. And it's interesting here you can see Herzl's idea of the seven stars. And then you have, this is a little bit different, you have a line inside of a Magen David. This was the template that led to this flag. And what's interesting, there isn't just one flag of Israel. Yerushalayim got its own flag. And this is what Yerushalayim's flag looks like. It has the line in the middle. Now I show you this because it's just fascinating how the Zionist flag actually morphed. It was, was, if you will, you can see the influence in the flag of Yerushalayim taking the lion out. And putting it, because obviously lion of the tribe of Judah. And then taking the elements here for the state of Israel. It's really cool. So I just give you, you know, an oversimplified, if you will, view of history. That the, the, the Magen David, it is pr- prominent in history. We can find it all over the place. But then also uh, how it actually came to be on, on the flag itself. With that said, I want to get to the weightier matters here, and I want to address the accusation that people are bringing against the Star of David. And again, the accusation is is very simple. The Star of David is the Star of Ramphan. In fact, if you start doing research, and I know you're going to go home, you're going to start looking into this, and I encourage you to do that. What you'll find is they'll take it a step further, because they're actually saying it is the mark of the beast. This is what they're teaching, that it is the mark of the beast. You know, I'm always quoted as saying, you can't make this stuff up. But today I stand corrected. Apparently you can. They are making this stuff up and it's being accepted. And the concept is growing. Now, perhaps you can appreciate why this particular issue is really starting to cause some controversy. I mean, when you have people running around and saying, hey, we have found the mark of the beast. We know what it is. And then they show you, there it is. There is the mark of the beast. Listen to the following quote from one of these individuals. The six-pointed star is associated with the worship of Saturn. Therefore, the beast is Saturn, and his mark is the six-pointed star. Now, to corroborate this claim, they're going to take you to the Bible. And... This passage that we're going to understand, this is the fundamental evidence that is given to support the claim that 
the flag of Israel is the star of Ramphan. All right? We're going to Amos 5, verse 25. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried Sikut, your king, and Kiyun. Now, you're going to have to tread with me for a second, but this Kiyun is synonymous with Saturn. All right? It's also synonymous with uh, Remphan. Okay? There's many terms that we could talk about. From the, from the Akkadian, it would be Kaiwan. From the Hebrew, it's Kiyun. And Kronos in the Greek. And then it comes to us in the Latin or in the English as, as uh, Saturn. And so it carries all these names. But just know, this is the star of Saturn. This is the star of Ramphan. So it says, you, you carried your Sikut, your king, and Kiyun, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So here we have the primary point of reference to legitimize the claim that, hey, Israel has lifted up the star of Saturn, of, of Kiyun, and they put it on their flag. Now, even to make things a little bit more interesting, knowing that Kiyun is, in, in fact, identified as Saturn, let me take you to Isaiah 14. And this is what we read. This is about Hasatan. This is about the devil. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Now, in the Hebrew, this is not a transliteration even. Uh, it's not Lucifer. It's actually Hillel. Okay, so hey, Lel, that, that is it. What does that mean? That literally means star. I want you to think about what was just said. How you've fallen from heaven, you star, son of the morning. He is just called the morning star. Well, this is interesting. Here, let me connect some dots for you. Did you know that Saturn is actually identified as a morning star? It is. And here, we see that Satan is identified as a morning star. Let me take this a step further. Back in the late 90s, NASA, they sent out this spacecraft to literally orbit Saturn, as it were. Well, roughly around 2004, I think it was, it started to send images back to us. And do you know what they found? They found something on the North Pole of Saturn that is very, very unusual. Let me show it to you. Here it is. Notice anything? Now you can't tell, but this is actually swirling. I mean, this whole thing is swirling, and it swirls in the shape of a hexagon. I mean, that's, this is pretty amazing. And here's where they're going to take you with that. Well, look at the Star of David. There's the Star of David. Well, inside the Star of David is the same hexagon. The same thing. I mean, you start to put this all together. Here we have Saturn. It's a morning star. And Satan's called the morning star. Here you have Saturn with a hexagon at its north pole. And guess what? The star of David has a hexagon within it. And on top of all of that, then we also have scripture telling us that Israel has in times past lifted up the star of Saturn. You see how all of these dots Get connected. Do you see how the evidence, and there's more things I could present, but do you see how this can be convincing? You remember the proverb? The first one to plead his case, it seems right, until another comes and examines him. Well, it's time for some examination. And we need to test 
this thing. And Paul commands us, test all things, amen? Well, I want to begin by taking you to the book of Acts. And I love this passage because what we just read in Amos chapter 5, Stephen, who's now called Stephen the martyr, Stephen quotes it. He quotes it. He draws right out from the exact same passage. It would be his last sermon. And what he does is he's reminding his brethren. He takes them all the way back to Abraham, which is when the covenant began. And he starts pinpointing epic moments in their history of their people. And he starts talking about at the times of which they fell, like, you know, making a golden calf. And so he brings this up, at which point we pick it up here. Then God turned and gave them up to the worship of the host of heaven. As it was written in the book of the prophets, meaning Amos 5, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Moving to verse 43. You also took up the tabernacle of Molech, which is Sikut. Okay, so he's... It's very important you understand here. It reads a little bit differently because Stephen's quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And in, in Amos, in the Masoretic text, we read, Sikut, your king. Here it reads the tabernacle of Molech. Same, same. It's not anything, no conspiracy here. And the star of your god, Remphan. Okay, so here Stephen brings it out. He brings it to the memory. Hey, this is what you have done. This is what your fathers have done. They lifted up the star of Ramphan. Well, pay close attention to what he says next. Because the secret to understanding all of this is in the next, very next statement. Images which you made to worship. You see that? In other words, the Ramphan that they made was an image with their express purpose to worship it. Meaning Israel put their trust in Remphan, meaning they believed in Remphan for good success, meaning they prayed to Remphan, meaning they burned incense to Remphan. They offered sacrifices to Remphan. Let me ask you the looming question, the elephant in the room, if you will. Is that what Israel is doing today? Are they burning incense to the Magan David or to the flag of Israel? When have you seen Netanyahu go up and say, oh, Remphan, Hear us. Our enemies are mounting on every side. Or any Jew. Do you see people bowing down to the Magan David? Calling upon it for help. You don't see that anywhere. The answer is that no. Understand. The star of David is merely a symbol. And it represents. It's a symbol that represents the Jewish people. The Jewish state of Israel. It does not represent a pagan god. It's a symbol. And just to kind of beat home this point, I'm going to take you to the dictionary. We're going to talk about what a symbol is. A symbol is something used for or regarded as representing something else. In other words, like the Star of David, it's a symbol, it's an emblem that represents something else. That's what symbols do. They represent concepts. They represent ideas. They can represent faith of something else. It's merely a symbol. And you know what? We look in our culture, in any other culture, we're filled with symbols, right? It's efficient. It's an efficient way to communicate our ideas, our beliefs, convictions to those around us. It's a very simple way. When I show you this symbol, what do you think? When I show you the sickle and the hammer, 
I know what you think. You think communism. Isn't that interesting? Because the symbol represents something. It represents a concept. It represents an idea. We think oppression. We think death, right? What about this? The American flag. It's a symbol. Notice how the Navy ships, you know, as they go through. Let me make my point here. The Navy ships as they're going through whatever country. You could be in the UK. You could be in Australia. You could be in China, Japan. You could be in America. And it's funny. is You always get these pictures and you see the fleet going through the water. What do you always notice? The flag. There's this huge flag blowing in the wind. You can see it. Why do they fly that flag? So other people know who they are. It's a symbol. That's what it is. It symbolizes we're Americans. Well, we can identify. It's a very easy way to identify with that. Let me show you another symbol. The cross. One of the most predominant symbols the world has ever known. You know, when you see a building with a cross on the outside, it tells you something about that building. It tells you about the people in the building, that they believe in Christ. I mean, for the most part. We can safely say that. When, when there are people that wear a cross, I mean, I always look at it, I can tell you right now, immediately, I mean, are, do none of you do this? You immediately think, well, they, they believe in Yeshua. I do. Because that's why they typically wear it, right? Let me get into some context. And I want you guys to follow me on this. This is very important. Because this, this unlocks so many doors in regard to this deception. Math. Now, he put up an equation that I could handle. You will notice, yes, one plus one is two. But look at the symbol. Because of this symbol, you know what to do. You know that with this number, I need to add it to this number. It's simply a symbol. But I did this intentionally. You will also notice, I mean, when I showed you this math, most of you did not think, oh, the cross of Christ. Why? Context. I'm making a point here. This is all about context. When we look at things in context, it doesn't even come to your mind that this is a cross. And it is. It comes across as, oh, I know what this symbol means. In this context, it's telling me to add. Let me show you another symbol. Equals. Well, that tells you this is your conclusion. Of what you've done here, mathematically, this is my conclusion. It represents a conclusion. I can show you the same symbol, very different. It's an equal symbol. See, when we were voting on legalizing gay marriage, these things hit the bumper stickers all over this country. They were everywhere. I remember seeing, we still see them today, do we not? When you're driving down the road, you see this equal symbol it's a symbol and every one of us know what it means conveys an idea it conveys a concept but it's all about context the context of what is being shared let me show you another symbol the rainbow everyone in this room looks this is the beautiful symbol this is a symbol of, of God's covenant. This is a symbol that when we look at it, we remember God created heaven and earth, and he can also destroy it. And we remember his promise. Now i show you another symbol, the rainbow. There's not a person probably in this room that doesn't understand the context of this flag. I want to be very clear. This rainbow is a Christian symbol. 
This flag with the rainbow is not. Right? It's not. There's a reason we do not hang rainbow flags, even though I grew up with this in my own church, that there was, we painted rainbows on the walls in our little kids' rooms and all this stuff, because it means something to us as believers in Yeshua. But you won't find us hanging rainbow flags outside of this building. Why? Because it would symbolize, it would tell everyone who everyone understands what this flag represents, and I mean throughout the world, from Tel Aviv to London to Miami. Nobody's in doubt over what this symbol represents, but we put this out here, and that is us symbolizing, telling us that we support the alternative lifestyle, which we do not. We welcome you to come here. You can come as you are, but you better leave as he is. That's how it works. I'm not going to support, we definitely don't want to support you soon, but we want to love and help heal you, heal that heart, heal that pain that is driving you to this point, right? So the point is, is we all know what that symbol, context, it's all about context. You know what? If I used the same logic that these people on the internet are using when they're touting that the flag of Israel, uh, the star of David is in fact the star of Ramphan or the star of Saturn. If I use that same logic, (laughs) because they do that, I would have to say, knowing the gay agenda They're believers. They serve the God who created heaven and earth because they're flying the rainbow, a known Christian symbol. Fact. I follow that same logic. Do you see how bankrupt that logic is? Just because the gay agenda flies this flag, it don't make them right. It don't make them believers. It don't make them God-fears and the creator of heaven and earth. I mean, think about this logic that's being applied here. You think, I mean, we could spend a long time on this. You think about Satan. He was, he is likened to 1 Peter 5 as a lion. Well, that makes sense to me. You know why? Because the Torah says lions are unclean. They're paws. You can't eat them. Unclean. So when you talk about Satan being unclean and being a lion, makes sense. And lions are destroyers. But then I read my Bible And the Lamb of God is also described as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Context. Okay, let's take it a step further. You know, lions are notoriously known as pagan symbols. It's not a mystery. And yet our Lord is actually likened to a lion. Babylon. What does the Bible describe Babylon as a lion? Right? Just think about these concepts. Let me take it a step further. We looked at the fact that Satan was called the morning star. Well, let me read to you Revelation twenty-two sixteen. I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Yeshua is called the morning star. Understand context. The context could not be farther apart. Let me take it a step further. We're really going to put this into perspective. One of the most predominant symbols in Satanism and paganism, different pagan religions throughout the ages, and we could even go back to the garden, is the serpent. True? This is it. This is known. The Egyptian culture has them. The Mayan culture, you think of the Canaanites, even think of the Greeks. In fact, we still have their Greek god plastered all over the place. Here it is. It's the god of Asclepius. Asclepius, he was the god of medicine. 
And that has become our healthcare symbol because he was the God of medicine. And so I want to be very clear. You find these snakes throughout history, worshiped, called gods with that in mind. Let me take you to Numbers 21. We're going to begin in verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moshe, Make a fiery serpent. Set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, I want you to think this through, just for a moment. Had these people who exist today, who are touting that the star of Israel, that the star of David is in fact the star of Saturn, Had they been alive back then, there is no way they would have participated in this. There is no way they would have looked at the snake. In fact, they would have rebuked Israel, just like they're doing today. And they would have rebuked Moses for falling into paganism. Knowing we just left Egypt with their their snake gods. And we're going into the land of the Canaanites who have their snake gods. And you're telling us to make a pagan image, really, out of bronze. And you want us to lift it up and look at it. Think about this for a second. Now you might say, well, Daniel, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. This is, this story's a little weird because did, didn't they break the second commandment? Wasn't Israel forbidden from making graven images? You need to go back and reread it. What they were forbidden of doing is making a graven image to worship as a God. Do you understand? That is a fact. This is what they were prohibited from doing. But it is interesting. How fascinating is this? That as you continue on in history, that's what Israel did. And we have evidence of this in 2 Kings 18 verse 3. And Hezekiah, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that his father David had done, he removed the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent. That Moses had made for until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and they called it Nehushtan. I want you to think about something. Making the bronze image a known pagan symbol, even in Israel's day, known symbol, no problem. Once they started worshiping it and they started burning incense to it as a God and they called it by a false God's name, Nehushtan, there's the problem. Again, I ask you, is this the activity that you see happening with the Magan David? Is this the activity that you see happening with the star? The answer is no. I haven't seen any evidence of that. It doesn't exist. But here's the deal. If we now start seeing the rabbis gathering around the flag, looking up, and they're calling it Nehushtan, or they start calling it Remphan, and they start burning incense to it, we'll have a very different discussion. But until that happens... I'm going to come against this hard because I know what's going on here. Let me take this a step further. And we could do this all day long. Solomon builds the temple. Look at the temple. Here's, here's, here's an 
image of it anyways. You got the 10 carts, which interestingly enough, well, there's not 10, there's 10, but they're not pictured. Interestingly enough, carved on these carts are lions. I mean, known pagan symbols, but look at this, and I've circled it. The sea of bronze. Notice anything? 12 oxen at the bottom. 12 oxen at the bottom. Isn't that interesting that this would happen in the temple? This was a good thing. The Lord, when Solomon dedicated the temple, the fire of God came down and accepted his prayer and dedication. So as you see it, God was happy with it. So here you have these bronze oxen at the bottom. What about the story? This This is amazing. So let me get this straight. You're in the wilderness. You make a golden calf. You worship it. And then you come to the temple and do that. You make 12 of them. They didn't make them for worship. Why did they make them? Oh, here we go. It's a symbol. What does it symbolize? The 12 tribes of Israel. It symbolizes Israel. What a powerful image. But again, these same people who are purporting this nonsense it's only a matter of time before they catch on to this. It's only a matter of time. You want to know what scares me about this deception, about those people who are falsely claiming Israel is worshiping Remphan? Do you understand the repercussions of falling into this deception, of falsely accusing Israel of doing something they are not doing? I mean, we need to go back to, the, to what God said to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Listen to me carefully. There is something more going on here with this deception, with this teaching, than what most people realize, especially the people that are getting involved in it, especially the people that are teaching this. This scripture is emphatically true. And when you come against Israel, the false accuser, the devil is a false accuser. He is the accuser of Israel. And think about the podium, the soapbox you're getting on by purporting this nonsense. You do not want to do this. And this message is contrived because I have a heart for the people that are falling into this deception. I have a heart for them. I have a heart for you. You need to know this stuff, but I really have a heart for the people that are falling into this because there is so much at stake. You have no idea. In fact, let me put this into perspective for you. I want to show you the spirit that is behind this teaching because there is a spirit and you're going to get a good idea in this video. The Star of David, where does that symbol come from? It's never written explicitly in the Bible itself. Is it in the Talmud? Perhaps. Is there a passage in the Bible about that or no? No. Okay. So you're not really sure exactly where that comes from? No. You got me. Is it nobody knows, <laughs> yeah, huh? I don't, I don't know. I'm not, yeah. Because I know it's called the Star of David. Yeah. Does that have anything to do with David? No, I don't think so. There must be somewhere, I'm, uh, I uh, do not remember exactly what the association was. Okay. I believe that what they call the Star of David is actually the Star of Remphan. Because when you study the Bible, you'll see that when they worshipped other gods, the Bible talks about them carrying the banner of the star of their god, Remphan. In May of 1948, a new Jewish state, Israel, was born in a bath of blood. 
Jewish troops routed Arab forces from the city of Haifa in the first of a series of battles that were to reverberate through the years. The new government, headed by David Ben-Gurion, is installed in Tel Aviv. Thus, for the first time since the Roman legion destroyed Jerusalem in the year 70 A.D., the Jewish people have a nation of their own. Today, a lot of Christians think that, like, God brought the nation of Israel back, you know, and, and God did this wonderful work. But really, was it really the will of God to bring these people back into Israel, or was it the will of the United Nations? The Bible tells us very clearly in Hebrews chapter 4 that when they first came to the promised land with Moses, they could not enter in because of unbelief. Then 40 years later, their children who believed the Lord were allowed to enter the promised land. Then later, they worshiped other gods. And what did God do? He removed them from the promised land. They went to Babylon for 70 years. Then after they repented and turned away from their false gods, they were brought back to the promised land. Then when they rejected Jesus Christ, they were removed from the promised land again. And then in 1947, they all believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and God brought them back to the promised land. Is that what happened? No. Did they believe in Christ? I mean, look, uh, Christian out there, ask yourself that question. Was there a revival going on in Israel? Were people accepting Jesus as their Messiah? The answer is no. So therefore, that was not God bringing back Israel because they believed in him. He said he would scatter them if they didn't keep his word, and he did. He said he'd bring them back when they turned unto him. They have not turned unto him. And so if it's not the Lord who brought them back, then who did bring them back? It was the spirit of Antichrist that brought them back to the promised land. It was the United Nations who brought them back to the promised land. Obviously, he's deceived. Nowhere will you find anywhere. I'm, I'm dumbfounded. Nowhere will you find anywhere where the devil is looking to bring them to the promised land. You can't find that. Actually, what you find from the very beginning with humanity, he has gone forth to take them out of God's inheritance for his people. That's the one thing we know for certain. So let me get this straight. I mean, let's just think about this for a second. This, what you just saw was so demonic. So let me get this straight. Hasatan, the devil, has gone out. He's killing millions of Jews. And then he comes to himself. Well, wait, wait a second. I'm, you know what? I, I'm going to stop killing these Jews, something that I love to do. And I'm going to fulfill God's promise to them. And I'm going to bring them into the land. Well, you, again, the, you know, Satan's logic is so perverse and stupid. I mean, it doesn't make sense. None of it does. But this scares me. When I see a gentleman telling us that the only thing that brought the Jewish people into the land is the Antichrist, is the devil. Again, I want to remind you, I have seen that rhetoric before. You go home and read Matthew 12, and what you'll find is Yeshua is going out and he is healing in his power, showing compassion to his people, the Jewish people. And what happened? The fairies came, came along and said, you're doing this by the devil. You do this by the ruler of demons. The exact same thing that they did. Now, let me tie this in a bow for you. You know what the next thing, Yeshua, you know how he responded to them when they said that to him? The scariest passage in all of the Bible. He talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Against the Holy Spirit, when the power of God is revealed and you say it is the power of Satan that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, I pray for this man's soul. 
I don't wish any ill upon this man. I pray that God has mercy, but I wouldn't want to be him. Knowing what I know in scripture and knowing what he is falling into this great deception. Why did I show you this video? Because this is the driving, this is the spirit. This is the driving force behind this teaching. Getting people without even knowing it to curse Israel. Getting them to abhor the flag of Israel. I mean, I've actually had people come up and said, that is offensive to me. I am dumbfounded by the fact that we are not seeing what is happening here. The devil loves to make Israel, the Jewish people, completely offensive. Well, that is a symbol that represents them. If that offends you, you will not be attending here. I'll tell you that right now. We will not be offended by the symbol that represents God's people. It's not going to happen. You know what the sad thing about this is? This is the tragedy. Is guess what? The Jewish people, they're used to this. See, they've been through the pogroms. They've been through the inquisitions. They've been through the Holocaust. Go back and study history and look at what happened. It starts with propaganda. The Holocaust, Hitler didn't come to power and start loading up the trains. That's not how it worked. Years of propaganda pumping in his perverse ideology into the men of Germany, into the women, into the children at the schools, into the teachers, into the pastors preaching from the pulpits. He was calculated. He started small. And you can even find so, so much commentary on this. Historians writing and documenting this, this, uh, this propaganda, this perverse propaganda where it was subtle unnoticeable just little tidbits like this teaching is subtle what does it tell you this is what scares me about knowing this teaching that is going out in the internet this is what scares me because i've seen this type of activity before i've seen this propaganda before, and i know what is coming it's going to get worse and worse it's going to get more bold and more bold propaganda always precedes persecution and it is coming and part of that evidence is what we see happening on the internet right now. This nonsense that's being spewed all over the place. And they don't even realize that they're being taught to abhor the symbol that represents God's people. They don't even see it. I want to close. I want to close today. I mean, oh, I could go on. I'll, I'll limit myself. I look at this and I see Hitlerian science. The science, remember the science that, you know, Adolf Hitler used to prove? He used science, what he would call logic, proof to show that the, the Jews were genetically inferior, that they were actually dangerous to the health of society. This teaching is doing the exact same thing. This teaching is Hitlerian theology. That's what I'm telling you. But I want to close on a good note here. You know, when I see the flag, and this has been since the beginning, every time I look at the flag of Israel, this is, this is what I'm reminded of. This is the prophecy. I see him, meaning Yeshua, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Yaakov, meaning Israel. A scepter shall arise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy the sons of the tumult. I want you to think about some. Do you think it's really a coincidence 
that Israel came back, that they've been brought, that supernaturally, after being slaughtered, they magically just made a state and a place where nobody wanted them to do that. That was supernatural, a miracle of the living God. And do you think it's a coincidence that the flag, as designed, it was just accidental? I don't. I look at it, it reminds me of the prophecy, this prophecy, that a star was to come. And it's interesting that that star is coming to wreak vengeance on the enemies of Israel. So with that, we will close.